It has to be an intention. It has to be something that we, we intentionally pursue and remind ourselves of. If we go to the shops, we're not just looking for a bargain. We might run into someone who we can pray for, who we can witness to, who we can bless. What is your expectations when you leave your home? What is your expectation when you leave church? Are you expecting an opportunity? Are you praying, Lord, let someone pass by? Let someone come in front of me who I can perhaps minister to or show kindness to? In the workplace, it's not just work. In the workplace, there are people who we rub shoulders with day in, day out, salt and light every day. How's your salt and light in your workplace? Is it shining? Is it salty? That's what we're called to do. That's mission, where we are. It's not just the church building, but it's people here that you can pray for, people here that you can bless, people here that you can encourage, people here who you can go up to and say, hey, I just appreciate you so much. Thank you for being part of this church family. Friday night kids club, I know it's hard on Friday nights. Who, who on Friday night just thinks pizza, Coke or Diet Coke, depending on your sugar situation? Um, and maybe, you know, something on TV. Well, guess what? Kids Club is on. Many people come to me and say, oh, oh Ben, oh, listen, I don't really interact with many people anymore. I just don't have that sort of life. Whether it's because I'm busy at work or busy this or busy that or, or just because my social circles are just fairly small. Well, you know what happens in Kids Club? People come to us. And so an opportunity is there for those who, who might just, just be there, just be someone there who can greet and welcome and smile. The power of a smile is a huge thing. Let me, let me just show you. I'm working on a few tough nuts here. <laughs> Hedy, that's, uh, that's pretty easy for me, to be honest. You're always smiling, Hedy. But a smile does wonders. That's wonders. Uh, at the pageant yesterday, there was a man walking up and down, and he was kind of encouraging people, remember to smile, remember to smile. So he came past and he said, smile, you're a big fella, so you need a big smile. So I put on an extra big smile. It lasted a little while, but it gets a bit sore after a while, doesn't it? It's hard in our own strength, would you agree? It's hard to smile and to do things in our own strength. We, we need his strength to be at work. We need his strength. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Now, crosses are heavy. Even this cross here that we have kind of a fix there, if you have to carry that for any amount of time, it's going to get sore on the shoulder. It's going to hurt. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What, what does that mean to carry something, to carry a burden? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for mission? Uh, Paul says um, in verse 10 of Philippians that he wants to know the power of resurrection and participation in suffering. Now that word sharing, participation, fellowship is a Greek word called koinonia. For me personally, it's one of the most scariest Greek words in the Bible. I, I completely grapple and become really small when I think of that word koinonia. It's, it's this word which is genuine, tangible, intangible, real, 
fellowship, togetherness, participation with one another in its fullest, contributing. We are a, a group that is living out koinonia. We are a group of people who come together to fellowship, to participate with one another, to contribute to one another, to be in community with one another. It is a brutal word. Yet that is the expectation that Paul speaks of and has for this group of people who call themselves disciples, who call themselves Christians. When we understand mission, we make koinonia tangible. It no longer remains a word that's just in the Bible occasionally and, and we just mention and, and think about. When we're on mission for Jesus, koinonia becomes absolutely tangible becomes real. The practice of mission is that it actually makes God's wisdom tangible, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of everyone around about us. Packer made this great statement that we used last week. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom begins with fellowship with God. It begins with koinonia, with with Jesus. It, it begins with, with connection with Him. Uh, yesterday, uh, sorry, on Friday, uh, Nick asked me to help construct the trailer. You know the trailer that's out there, it's got the big signs. It's like a big Meccano set or, you know, in my world it's like Techno Lego. You just got to kind of construct it how you see fit. You know when you get Lego, there's like a rule book that you follow? We had no rule book out there. We just constructed it. I have no idea how to go about that, I really don't. But Nick knew and he involved me in that process. I got to use drills and power tools and drill stuff and kind of make mistakes and th I thought I was helping when I really wasn't. I was kind of like Danny DeNudo on the castle, no, is that his name? You know, he passes the water to the big QC and that was kind of me, I was just there sort of grasshopper-ish. But Nick was about coming up, seeing the best way to do this mission, to the, the best way to get it done, the, the, the best way to try and, try and construct this so it was safe and that it would work. And, and I, got, I got involved with that. I got wrapped up into that. I was part of that mission and purpose. It wasn't my responsibility, it was his. But I got involved into that and carried up into that. Mission is catching, isn't it? Mission has this way of reaching out to others and involving us so that together we have the surest means to attain it. God has chosen us to participate in His mission. It's our participation and activity for the Lord that matters. God is relying on us, hoping for us, encouraging us to participate and be involved in His mission. And the fellowship that comes from participation grows us and we learn new things. I learned some new things that I've never seen before when I was helping construct the trailer. I grew, I, I got to see how it works and what happens. You know, some things only come as Christians when we're on mission. Would you agree with that? Some things only, you only experience and learn and grow in some areas of our Christian walk when we are on mission for Christ. 
It's almost like there's, a, there's an experience that is reserved. There is, a, there is exposure and understanding and, and growing that is reserved for when we step into that mission with faith and we pursue what God has got for us. The wisdom of mission is that the Word became flesh. You see, Jesus came and He embodied the mission. He carried out the mission so that we might be saved. And now He's called us, He sent us to do the same. So I want to offer some encouragement from this passage of Scripture that Laura read this morning. If anyone in the New Testament was on mission, you'd have to say it was Paul. Paul was on mission. Paul, I wouldn't want to be around Paul, I mean, let's be honest. I'd be looking for the easier group, you know, if they're picking, you know, they're picking their, their teams and Paul's one of the captains, I'd kind of be hiding trying to avoid him picking me, I'd, I'd want to, you know, be with the other guy. I think I'd rather hang out with Barnabas. Who, who's with me on that? Anyone wants to go with Barnabas? Anyone wants to go with Paul? Okay, yeah, that's about right. I'm the same. Now, there's great wisdom to glean from this passage, and I want to just come out with four points this morning. Knowing Christ, reaching, inviting, and real time. They're the four key points that I want to pull apart from this passage of Scripture. So first of all, when Paul is speaking here, one of, the, one of the themes of the book of Philippians is joy. The starting point, a necessary starting and ongoing point for us as Christians is joy. How's your joy this morning? Are you struggling with joy? Is joy a struggle for you? Is thankfulness a struggle for you? Is, is rejoicing really difficult for you these days in your life? Or is every day you wake up and go, thank you, Lord, I love you? I don't think I've done that ever. Uh, I'm not a morning guy. God's not a morning guy either. Uh, God's a night guy in my world. But how, in, in your life, in your world, are you, are you full of joy? It's impossible for us to do mission without joy. And Paul begins by this idea of rejoicing in Him and being thankful for what Christ has done. That is an antidote for a whole range of things of an apathetic Christian life, of a life that gets consumed with other things besides Christ. His joy and thankfulness. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for something? Thankfulness, it's such a challenge for us. Paul begins with giving thanks and speaking about his joy. It's a principle that we need to capture again and again. It's not something which is a once-off, thanks and joy, we've done that, now let's move on with, you know, heavier stuff like theology and all sorts. This is something which is part of the normal Christian life, the daily experience. You know, you can thank God when you're in trouble. You can thank God when you're struggling. You can thank God when you're unsure. You can thank God when you don't know. You know, you can have joy in Christ when things seem a mess. You can have joy in Christ when things seem impossible and there's no way out. Joy and thankfulness are key to this mission. This mission of knowing Jesus. You see, for, for Paul, after Jesus, everything else was worthless. Nothing else mattered. When, he, when Paul compared what was before and what was now, all bets were off. Everything else that the earth and the world had to matter was meaningless but Jesus. Jesus was the only thing. Jesus was the only thing that mattered, the only one. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the only thing. When we compare and, and look at what else is in life, is Jesus your number one? 
Is Jesus your number one? To know Jesus requires faith, and faith is the currency of heaven. It's not law, and it's not living a certain way and a certain approach and thinking that you've got a pattern, but it's living by faith. You know, that is hard. I think I would be a much better Old Testament guy where I've got very strict kind of dot points about how to live and go about it, but I can tick boxes. But Jesus just kind of breaks that process apart and lifts it up and says, no, just live by faith. Just live in the freedom that comes with faith. Yet I would say that that's harder. It's harder. It's harder. I reckon it's harder. Because there's a chance that in our freedom we can just do nothing. I'm free to do nothing. I'm free to do nothing. Paul talks about faith. Faith, only in faith can we seek to know Christ, to have relationship with Him, to share in His experience and to share in His mission. There's a natural progression here. There's rejoicing and thankfulness of God, which causes us to remember that nothing else matters but Christ. And then when we think about Christ, we grow in our faith and trust in Him. And then we reach a point where we say, I just want to know Him. I just, want to, I just want to know Him. That is the first point of the wisdom of mission. It causes us to just want to know Him, just to be with Him, just to experience Him. Paul says that I, I want to know Christ and experience His power. When was the last time you said that? I just, I just want to experience His power in my life. I just want to know His presence. I just want to know His work in my heart and my mind. I just want to step into something more than what I'm at right now. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Surely he had enough experience to not have to say that anymore. What does he say? He says, I I just want to know him. I just want to experience him. I don't want this Christianity to be a dry construct of format and process. I want this Christianity, I want this knowing Jesus, I want this mission to be real and tangible and I want to experience it. I want to know it. I had uh, the chance to have lunch with a person who spoke here called Pastor Barry Silverback last week. He's in his 80s and I was just so encouraged by his craziness. He's just passionate about pursuing God. He's on his way to Papua New Guinea again in December. He's talking about what God's doing in his life. He's talking about the Bible and how God spoke to him. He's sharing about how, how he, he's caring for people and how people bless him. But all those things were really encouraging. You know the thing that really challenged me? Was he said something like, I just want to know more of Christ. How, you know, we all have people around us. When I catch up with Ted, that's kind of what Ted says. He says, I just want to know Jesus. I mean, can't you reach a point where you've got enough? Sometimes we live that way, don't we? I've got enough Jesus. I've got enough Christ. But these people, part of the wisdom of mission is to know Jesus, to reach out. Paul goes on and, and explains that the wisdom of mission is reaching out from where you are, from what you know. Paul didn't ever stay still, whether it was physically, experientially. Importantly, he was understanding Christ and that his submission to Christ would cause him to reach out and beyond where he was. There was a maturity and a growth that was in Paul that came from this action of his mission, that came from knowing Jesus and pushing out and reaching out beyond where he was. Paul says it like this, he says, I'm pressing on. 
Haven't I pressed on enough? Hasn't Paul pressed on enough? What is it about this wisdom and mission that Paul has the audacity to say, but I'm pressing on for more. I'm pushing in for more. I can't reach the end of knowing Jesus. I'm pushing in for Him, His perfection, His ways, His purposes. It's almost like, it's almost like an attitude we're talking about, aren't we? It's almost like an attitude. It's almost like an expectation we're talking about. It's not like things and works. It's an attitude and an expectation that Paul had to continue to reach out, to continue to be used by Christ, to continue to step from wherever he was into whatever God had for him that day. An attitude, an expectation to forget the past, to not be bound by what we've done before. We don't have to do it that way because that way was for that way for then. We're pushing on and looking forward to what is to come, to what Jesus is doing now. I'm not resting in my experience. Back in 1977, when I was one year old, I'm not, I'm not resting there. I'm, I'm pushing on to what God's got for me in 2019. You see, the pattern here of reaching out causes us to keep moving forward. It's to not forget the past, not to ignore the past, but don't allow the past to, to bind us and become the thing that shapes us, rather let Christ and moving forward shape us. Paul's pursuit of mission was to know Christ, was to reach Christ and reach others for Christ. And Paul uses this idea of a race. Now, I'll be honest with you, I was never really much of a, a race guy. I was the top pick for the tug-of-war team. Number one, number one, number one pick, number one draft picked. But when it came to running and races, I really didn't feature well. I had this moment where I peaked in year seven, and somehow I qualified second to run in the final race of the 800 meters. I thought, I can do it. I really, I never knew I had it in me. And one of my friends who I beat, who really should have beaten me, he actually came to me and said, Ben, I really wasn't feeling well. I had a cold that day. Can we swap? Can we swap? And, and I thought, I beat you, bro. I'm running this race. He actually came and said that to me. Now, I'm adding a few words, but that was, Ben, we know you can't really run. We don't know how it happened. We want to trade you and swap you. But I said, no way. I'm running this race. Anyway, I started on this race, and I just remember my brothers and my sister, my parents being there, cheering me on. And that first lap, we started running. Mate, I don't know what happened between the heat and the race, but they ran so fast. By the end of the first lap, I was gone. In fact, after the first 100 metres, I was gone. I was like running sort of, it might have been like eight there. I reckon I was running fifth or sixth. Anyway, first lap, I'm now running second to last. And by the time we got around to the end of the second lap, you know what happened? I thought, surely I, don't, surely I won't come last, surely. And I, and, I, and I saw, and this person behind me was catching me and passing me. I came last. I came last. You see, that guy was right. He should have swapped with me. I came last. But I, but I wanted to finish the race. Something in me didn't want to give up and just walk off and go, ah. I wanted to finish it. I wanted to finish the race. I wanted to complete the race. Paul here is 
talking about an endpoint where, where we're pursuing the goal, which is Jesus. That's a goal which goes on forever. How can you ever reach the end of Christ? How can you ever reach the end point where you know it all and you've got everything sorted out and accounted for? And the prize for that race is heaven. Him eternally, with Him. Even a new body where maybe I might just win my own race one day. And Paul calls this maturity. Paul says, this is the mature Christian life. It's not how many surveys of the Bible you know. It's not how old you are or how young you are. It's not, it's not where you've come from or where you've been. Maturity in Christ is knowing that I am pursuing and running this race and I have much to learn and I'm just pursuing Christ with everything I've got. That is maturity that Paul speaks about. This wisdom causes us to dislodge ourselves from whatever earthly constraints we feel or face and to focus on heavenly goals, to forsake the past, to pursue Jesus. This way of living is maturity. There is no other maturity in the Scripture. It's interesting, isn't it? That means at all stages of our life, regardless of the earthly KPIs that we understand, we can live a mature Christian life. It's possible for us but it's just going to cost us our life. Are you really prepared to be a disciple of Christ? Are you really prepared to wrestle with those things that hold you and that, that, that control you? Are you really prepared to let go of the things that constrain you? It's hard. If it wasn't hard, I don't think Paul would have written. Mission is inviting. It's to be an example. Paul has the audacity to say, follow me, do what I do, like copy me. That, that's a big statement. That's a big statement. Copy me. Follow me. Copy. Do what I'm doing. Be what I'm being. Pattern your lives after me. One of the beautiful things about this passage is the passion that Paul writes with. In verse 18, he says, with tears in my eyes, I, I really want you to get this mission. I really want you to get on with what I've called you to, be, to do and be. I really... I, I'm, I'm so passionate that I've got tears in my eyes. And for Paul, he's a tough guy. I, I suspect tears don't come often. But he wants Christians, these Christians, to step up into their race and to pursue Christ, pursue knowing Him, pursue the mission that they've got, rather than falling into a trap of creating their own construct and understanding of Christianity. Passion. Passionate. A deep desire. Zealousness. Am I looking at passionate people this morning? Or am I looking at people that are going, gee, we could be here for another hour. Hope he's winding up soon. Will they ever get Makona instead of Nescafe? I mean, these are the realities we face. I'm no different. I sit in places and my mind goes elsewhere and I'm disengaged and, and, and I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm, I'm no different. I'm no different. Understanding that we are a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. That should change everything. If there's a truth that you need to get your head around, it's that on your passport, it says your country of residence, your country of origin is heaven. That's, that's, that's where you belong. That means when you're in trouble, who comes and helps? It's, it's not the Australian government, it's, it's, it's the heavenly armies of the Lord. When, when, you, when you need help, you need to reach out to someone. Who do you reach out to? It's, it's not the local embassy, it's, it's heaven. That's where you go. 
You see, if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to be reaching out, if we're going to be pursuing Christ, if we're going to be inviting others, we need to know that we're not just operating ourselves. We are citizens of heaven with the full arsenal that heaven has to offer. Paul says, I want to know the power of Christ. Why did he say that? Because when you're on mission, you have to have the power of Christ at work in your life. You have to. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. We have to have Christ at work in us. We have to have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Have to. It's real time. Mission is about real time. It's not tomorrow. It's about now. The real time of mission. The real time of mission is adjusting and being flexible and being available and responding and being ready to grow right now in real time. Not tomorrow, not next year, but now, right now. One of the biggest traps of Christianity is we can say, oh yeah, I'll deal with that then, or I'll do that after, or I'll, I'll think about that later. No, the mission, the mission of God isn't on pause. It's now. It's real time. It's real time. It requires submission and it requires faith. It requires a crank angle sensor. I have a car that's a VT Commodore. It's the best car in the world. I'm very close to my car. It's my fourth child. I would drive it for 20 minutes and then one time it conked out. And, I, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? So I, I Ubered home. I went back to get the RAA. And all of a sudden, uh, everything's okay. It starts. Cancel the RAA, drive home. What's going on? So I do all the normal stuff. I do the plugs. I do the spark plugs. I do, I do leads. I, I, I look at all sorts of things. I, I, I look at even the, the coil pack and, you know, the injection module, and, and some people are going, I've got no idea what you're talking about, Ben, but it sounds good. Well, I did everything I could. And then I went and got the water pump changed over. I had to be right now. No, nah, conks out after 20 minutes. That's very unnerving when you live on a main road that I live on, which is a freight route. And you're going around a corner and peak out traffic, or you're going up a hill, you do not want to lose power all of a sudden. That happened. I lost power all of a sudden. I got my car into the driveway, and my back end was hanging out. I just got it up there. Just. So I contacted this guy and he said, just pour some water in the front of the engine if it stops again. If it starts straight away, it's the crank angle sensor. So I didn't have a problem with my crank. <laughs> so I did it and it started. My crank angle sensor. You see, do you know what the crank angle sensor does? It feeds information about the vehicle to the engine management system so that the engine management system can tell the fuel injection system and, and the electrical system what to do. Without this sensor of the engine and what's happening, the, the computer doesn't know what to do. The computer does not know what to do. This is a real-time sensor. It can't operate on data from the past. It can't even look too far ahead. It's got to look at this moment right now. This crank angle sensor has to understand something in the now to be able to have the engine running properly, to be able to have the engine running appropriately. You know what? I thought, that's, that's like my life. That's, 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 like, that, that's like my problem. When, I, when I'm running hard and I get a bit hot and I get a bit busy, I can conk out because my crank angle sensor 
is not working right. You see, for us, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not the crank angle sensor. It's the Holy Spirit in real time, now. It's the Holy Spirit operating in my life that says, Ben, I know you're getting a bit hot. I know it's getting a bit hard, but this is the way I want you to go in this direction. And I need to receive and communicate that information with the Spirit then and there so that I can pursue the race, so that I can carry on what I've got to do. Otherwise, I'm, I'm like that car with a broken crank angle sensor. I can't communicate in real time. I need to step back and cool down so that I can start off again. How's your crank angle sensor going? How's, how's your real-time understanding of Christ at work in your life? You see, the wisdom of mission is that it requires us to be with Christ in real time. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday, but now. Now. Wisdom of mission is that the Word has become flesh. We're going to come to our time of worship, and I would love worship to be a time of response. I just want to ask you to join me in something. This wisdom of mission becomes very tangible when we have a card that looks like this. There's some cards like this that are maybe in front of you in the seat. I've got some down the front here. Don't, don't look for it. There's some cards that are in the foyer on the, on the table. But this is the wisdom of mission. The wisdom of mission is, is that we understand that God has called us to reach out and invite others. But we also understand that we need to be pursuing Christ and knowing Him more. We understand that we need Him in real time. But what would happen if the entire church had a card like this? What would happen if I went up to Sheila and said, Sheila, I'm praying for this person. Would you pray with me? What would that do to our expectation that week? How would that change us? What, what, if, what if Josh knew that I was praying for my brother? And Josh, I just want you to pray with me. So I hand him this card, just a simple name on there. And then I knew Josh was praying with me for my brother. How would that change us? How would that affect our expectation? How would that affect what we're hoping to see God do? How would that, what would happen to our culture? What would happen to the way we think? What would happen to our conversation? What if Elena knew that we were praying for her as she goes out with the Rahab team every Friday or whatever time she goes out? She just knew that there were people praying for her and that she was praying for us. You know, if, oh, I reckon if I come to Sheila and said, would you pray for this person? I wonder if Sheila might say, you know what, could you also pray for this person? I wonder what would happen if we did that. I wonder what would happen if we networked that across our entire church. Maybe with people who we don't necessarily connect with like super closely. Maybe just with others who, who you know, we see at church and we say hello to. Maybe I can go to tomorrow and say, tomorrow, can you pray for this person? Can you pray that God would give me an opportunity to reach out? That God would give me an opportunity to be salt and light. That God would give me an opportunity to witness. That maybe I'll have the opportunity to bring that person to Jesus. Is, is it possible to do that? Can I ask you to drop your pride, to drop whatever blockage there is, to drop whatever's happened in the past, to give it another go, to give it another shot, to trust in the promises of God and the Word of God and take a step of faith? Can I encourage you to do that? Would, would you do that with me? Would you take a stand? Would you draw a line that says, on this date, the last Sunday in November, I grabbed that card and I, and I really intentionally pursued mission. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
this passage that Paul writes and encourages us with, Lord, I pray that we would know you more, that we would seek you more. We would pursue you more, first and foremost, Lord. That, Lord, we would be people of joy and thankfulness, that it would be contagious. That, Lord, we would pursue our calling to be on mission for you. That we understand that we are sent by you. Lord, let our response this morning be one of worship. Let our response this morning be one of honesty unto you, Lord. Let us seek you this morning as we worship and as we sing. Let us seek you. Let us come into your courts with thankfulness, Lord. Lord, we pray that we would ask you this morning, Lord, to minister to our hearts, to speak to our hearts. That, Lord, we would not be afraid of running hot and being overrun and, 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 and it being too much because, Lord, you, you are our sensor. You are the one who is with us. You sustain us. You carry us. It's not in our own strength, but it's in you. So, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to come upon your church here, Lord, that we might take up this mission, that this Christmas time would be different because of an expectation that we have. Lord, may we expect change. May we expect, Lord, to be used by you to witness and to show kindness and to bless others. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of this people here, Lord. Lord, we've, we've carried on well, Lord, and we've done well. But, Lord, we're not looking at the past. We're looking forward to what's to come. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you. Jesus, we want to know you more. We want to experience your power at work in our lives. Lord, help us as we worship you now.